Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. It wasn't my fault. I think most of us would acknowledge using that phrase sometime throughout our lives, probably more so during our youth, but uh, nonetheless, it's been used from time to time. Now, in matters of law, it's not really up to us to decide whose fault it is. In cases involving personal injury, determining fault and responsibility for one's actions, or even lack of actions in some cases can be critical to the outcome. Uh, Hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell, and uh, today we'll take a look at responsibility, not so much for one's actions, but for the action or behavior of one's pet as we discuss cases involving dog bites or perhaps other animal attacks. I'll be joined by Lavelle Law Attorney Joe Vito. Uh, Joe has uh, some great experience in personal injury realm, and he's going to share some information with us today. Uh, Joe, good afternoon. Thanks for being here. Uh, Good afternoon, Jim. It's great to be here with you. Uh, as I mentioned, you, you know this is your uh, one of your areas of uh, great experience. You've done a tremendous job building a very, very reputable personal injury practice group at Lavelle Law in recent years. And when we start to talk about issues involving pets, am I correct to assume that uh, the vast majority of these cases are going to involve dog bites as opposed to any other pet? Uh, yeah, both because dogs are so common, and because uh, if you're bitten by some other type of pet, it normally isn't that serious. I mean, you can get some, some bad cat cases, but I'd say the overwhelming majority are, are dog issues just because of the amount of injury that a dog, especially certain types of breeds like pit bulls, can, uh, can produce on somebody. It, it can be pretty devastating at times. Mm-hmm. And, and do you, would you say you see more cases, or cases like this increase in, in warmer months when both people and pets spend more time outside? Yeah, absolutely. It's just, you know, people are outside. Dogs are able to be outside. They don't have to be in, indoors. And, uh, you know, people leave them out a lot, and sometimes they get out of the yards uh, or they're just out on, on walks and on leashes, and uh, they have a tendency, um, you know, to, to get off when they're actually out. So just by the by the mere fact of, you know, there being warmer weather, more people out, more people out with their pets, you see a, a, a typical increase in these types of cases during the warmer months. Now, is there here in Illinois a specific uh, statute or law that that covers responsibility for animal owners? Um, yes, it's, it, there's a, an overarching law called the Animal Control Act, which is not just for pets. Uh, it's a pretty uh, large uh, body of law regarding agriculture and all sorts of things. But there's a specific section in that larger statute um, that provides uh, for liability in these types of situations. Uh, that makes it pretty difficult for a dog owner uh, whose dog has bitten somebody to to escape liability in these types of cases. Some people consider it strict liability, although that's not exactly true, Um, but it is um, pretty adverse to the pet owner and and pretty favorable to the um, victim. It's interesting because so many times when I talk to you or your colleagues, um, there's a whole matter of, you know, interpreting the law, how the courts might interpret something and uh, different ways it could be challenged. It sounds like the guidelines in this are, are fairly specific. Is is that the case? 
Um, yes, that is the case. Um, it's it's a fairly uh, specific um, set of facts that the uh, injured party has to prove, which aren't that onerous in these types of cases, as I was saying. Um, one of the first that they have to prove um, is that they were lawfully the, the injured party is that the injured party was lawfully in the place where the where the incident occurred. So if you're walking down the street on the sidewalk and somebody's dog bites you, obviously you had a right to be there. When the, the cases get trickier is if you're trespassing, obviously. Uh, you're in someone's house without their permission or, you know, where it gets a little bit more tricky is, you know, did you step into somebody's front yard while you're out on a walk? But, but still, um, if you can establish that you had a lawful right to be where you were, uh, you have the first prong of that um, formula satisfied. The second uh, prong, which is also not too burdensome to meet, is that you have to prove that you didn't provoke the animal. Um, and that uh, simply is, is a, a severe type of provoking. If you're petting a dog or, you know, looking at a dog or something like that, it, it's not going to be considered provocation. If you actually go and, you know, yank on the dog's tail or kick the dog or do something like that, it'll, it, it could be considered that you provoke the dog and then you won't have... Uh, the the affordability of that statute to cover you in your injury case, and it's interesting because I, I think when you when you use the term provoke, I mean I think we could probably all have images that you said of of you know um, you know grabbing the the leash or doing something else you know some physical contact with the animal. But I, let me try this example. I, like many people, I you know I like to get out and run a few mornings a week or take a bike ride. Um, now personally, when I'm out and I see someone walking a dog, uh, particularly women or women with children. Um, who I think that dog might be prone to protect, I I tend to veer away, especially if I'm coming up kind of like from behind. If is like startling someone or just you know being out, being active, um, is that something that say, hey, well, you, you kind of scared my dog because you kind of came up behind us, or do you really need to you know make physical contact and and uh, cause that dog to be upset in some way with you? Yeah, like most areas of law, there, there's a gray area, but this one's a little bit more black and white than normal. Uh, something like that where you're just jogging along um, and, and come up from behind a dog um, that that is is being docile or is just walking, and all of a sudden that causes the dog to, to take an adverse uh, reaction and attack you, it's not going to be considered provocation normally, unless you did something, you know, crazy and ran up behind a person and shouted, you know, yeah. Something, you know, like you were going to attack them or, you know, actually we're, we're trying to physically, uh, you know, attack the people. In that situation, obviously, it's a different story. But if you're just dragging along and you happen to come close to somebody else that's on a bike path or um, you're riding your bike and you come close to a dog because you have to pass them up, that's not going to be considered provocation and you'll still be afforded, um, you know, protections under the Animal Control Act. Okay. Now, you mentioned the, the two prongs and, and the uh, what a plaintiff would have to do to, to sort of justify those. Anything else that uh, has to be proven from the plaintiff's side in these cases? Well, like any other type of case, you have to prove your damages, um, that you were in fact injured, um, and that's, you know, a, a whole separate area of this type of law because there's there's special considerations when you have dog bite cases um, that normally uh, focus around the the physical disfigurement if there's some nasty scar or something like that where um, you'll have to prove the overall value that, that, that you've been injured with. 
And that's a that's a great point. Something I got a couple of questions for you on that, and let me just reintroduce that we're talking about uh, dog bites or or other animal attacks with Lavelle Law, personal injury attorney Joe Vito on the podcast today. Um, and uh, I came across the topic in an article Joe recently wrote and posted at LavelleLaw.com. Uh, if you have been to the site before, I'd suggest a revisit as it recently underwent some sweeping revisions, and it looks terrific right now. And in addition to articles like the one I mentioned, it's much easier to find uh, those and, and other content, all of it being updated regularly by Joe and the other attorneys. Um, so LavelleLaw.com is uh, certainly a, a great resource. Um, so when, when you talk about you know determining uh, the, the damages or what would be awarded to the plaintiff, first of all, are these are these trials handled by uh, just a, a judge making a decision, or are they jury trials? Uh, they're almost always jury trials, and that that depends on on the defendant in the case. What when someone um, uh, brings a dog bite case, they're they're suing the dog owner, who will be normally covered under their homeowner's policy. So if you have you know a, a major company like State Farm or uh, Allstate or something like that. Those lawyers will come in and defend uh, the homeowner on behalf uh, of the insurance company, and they will almost always choose to defend the case before a jury, and they have the right to do that uh, in Illinois, and it most likely would be a six-person jury. However, it could go before a judge, but it's highly unlikely because they'll almost always choose to take it to a jury. And what what do you normally expect to encounter then if you're dealing uh, with, with the insurance companies that are trying to protect their client? What uh, what sort of defense are they going to put up? Well, normally, I mean, the defense in these types of cases, because as I was saying, it's strict liability. The defense is uh, twofold. A lot of times, there just aren't a, a high amount of medical bills and dog bite attacks because it involves hospital, uh, you know, uh, an emergency room, and then stitching unless there has to be some sort of plastic surgery down the road, um, there's not going to be a big uh, medical bill number like you would have in, in, say, a car accident where, you know, someone broke a bone and had to have surgery and then had to have, you know, plates and screws put in and all that. You normally don't get that in an animal attack, and, and normally the, the scarring is, is the bulk of the value. So what the insurance companies will say is, well, you know, you only had a $2,000, $3,000 emergency room bill, your case isn't that valuable, even though you might have some permanent nasty scarring on your face that is way more valuable than, say, a broken arm would be that will heal and mend with time and won't cause you that long-term embarrassment. Mm-hmm. Um, do they factor in, would a jury or would a, you know, as you work in representing someone, I mean, you mentioned that scarring or potential disfiguring of some sort. I mean, is that matter if it's a uh, you know 15 year old who has a long life in front of them as opposed to a 70 year old i mean is that even a factor in these cases yes it is i mean the 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 scarring matters to to the degree to a subjective degree as to who's who's scarred so you know someone like you or i jim might not be as embarrassed by a, a scar on our face as say our wives would be um and you know it's not to be sexist or anything about it it's just much more valuable um, to a woman who might, you know, who might find that, you know, more embarrassing and harder to deal with. Um, you know, if you have some big burly biker guy who's already got scars on his face, um, it, it's going to be a harder sell to say, you know, that this has totally made him his life different and, and really embarrassed him. So the value of the scars is certainly subjective um, in terms of who's being scarred. Their age, like you said, could be a big issue too. Um, you know, a, a 
a young 15-year-old, um, you know, that has the rest of their life to endure with this car can certainly be more valuable than, you know, someone in their uh, in their 80s who, uh, you know, just might not be so concerned about their physical appearance. And you, you mentioned, you know, the, the value, determining the value of the award being based partially on, you know, what the medical bills were and, and then the ultimate scarring. Is that, I mean, is it, we hear the term, you know, pain and suffering is, is that something that gets evaluated here? Is that like additional damages that might be added? Yeah, the, the scar itself would be determined as disfigurement, um, but the, the the pain and suffering is, is a whole other sect. I mean, if you if you're mauled by some pit bull, I mean, there's obviously going to be severe pain and suffering um, on top of the disfigurement that's compensable. Uh, of course, these are all kind of nebulous calculations that that there's no strict formulas for them. They, they all are subjective and they're different for each case. Um, but there's certainly a pain and suffering value component uh, in a dog bite case. And in discussing personal injury cases in general with you in the past, uh, you've, you've always stressed the importance of getting, you know, both medical care right away, or medical care right away, let's say, and then immediately reaching out to an attorney very shortly afterwards. Is, is that consistent in these types of cases as well? Yeah, of course. Um, you want to get medical care right away uh, for the obvious reasons. I mean, you, if you're injured, you, you want that um, injury taken care of. Um, and the, the, the non-obvious reason for the quick medical care is insurance companies will often use gaps in care as a basis to claim that you weren't injured or, or that, you know, you don't deserve the compensation that you're asking for. And in a similar vein, that's why you want to contact an attorney right away to make sure that, that you're being represented, that your interests are being represented, and that you're not going one-on-one -on -one with the insurance company that handles these claims all the time, uh, every day, and knows all the tricks to, to try to keep money out of your pocket. You want to make sure you're represented by someone uh, who understands what they need to do to make sure you get the fullest compensation possible. And maybe 30 seconds left here, but um, you talked about medical care, you talked about uh, the attorney. Does a case like this require or should you at least consider contacting the police after an incident like this occurs? Yeah, you always want to make a report of a situation like this just to memorialize it right away um, and, and memorialize it by a third independent party that's not you, your attorney, or the insurance company. And this way, the police will come out and take statements and, and you'll have that all recorded and, and it'll serve as a basis for the insurance company to, to open the claim and, and to take you seriously that you're ready to move forward and, and make sure that you're compensated in the case. Well, um, thanks very much, as always, to Attorney Joe Beater. Joe, thanks for being here with us today. And if you'd like to follow up, learn more about this, you can contact Joe directly at 847-705-7555. And we encourage you to stop by LavelleLaw.com. Thanks so much for listening. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.